you could have a little predicament in the Sweet 16, Robbie, if Michigan State pulls a couple nice victories out and Kansas State and Michigan State could meet. I'm just going to stop you there. This has been the least favorite Michigan State team I've ever watched. They fucking suck. I hate it. I'm watching every single moment. This team stinks. Um, So do not – I, that should have been one of my picks is not picking Michigan State. Uh, I should have picked USC, but I've, I I mean, I have to, like, ride with them for at least a game. But this team has been so frustrating. I'm, like, I'm not saying I'm ready for Tom Izzo to go, but, like, it would it, – it, I, I, I want Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville, 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 I'll be out in Aggieville, 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 I'll be out in Aggieville, 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 I'll be out in What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie, and tonight it's win or go home. The cats are still dancing, baby. We've got a recap of a fairly stress free win against Montana State in the first round followed by a recap of what could go down as one of the greatest K-State NCAA tournament games of all time against the Kentucky Wildcats on Sunday. This was a big win, which saw the Purple Cats taking victory in impressive fashion with a final score of 75-69. to And Coach Jerome Tang has his Wildcats in Week 16 just one year into his tenure as a head coach with a roster that he built essentially from scratch with only two returners from the previous team. Last but not least... And guys talking ball, we'll read some tweets from sad Kentucky fans. And did Bob Strawn admit to turning Jamar Samuels in for taking impermissible benefits? We will discuss that and much, much more. As always, I am joined by my trusted sidekicks, Fireball Matt Marchesini and the good Shandre Napier. Fireball Matt, how are you feeling about uh, getting out to MSG this weekend? Yeah, I'm pumped. It's going to be fun. Uh... You know, MSG is considered, widely considered, one of the best places in the country to watch a basketball game, which it is. I've been a couple times. Um, but it's going to be really cool to see the homecoming uh, that our four guys from the New York City area are going to get. And uh, I'm excited to hopefully see a win Thursday and then uh, bring on Saturday, which would be absolutely incredible. It's going to be fun. How did you enjoy the games in Albany? Ooh, that's a tough question. You know, it, first off, watching four basketball games in a day is a very long day. Um, and the last tipped game on on a Friday, it tipped at 1040 Eastern time, which as Scott Wildcat would say, that is entirely too late at night. But um, a lot of the games were close in the first half and then they, they really weren't close in the second. So that was a little boring. Um, Friday, I would say probably the biggest ovation was when they brought up Farley Dickinson, uh, beating Purdue, which was awesome to see, uh, everybody cheering for that. But, um, overall it was fun. I mean, NCAA tournament's always fun, uh, to, to watch as a spectator. Um, and, uh, hopefully, uh, we'll get to see some fun this weekend. Chef, how are you doing tonight? You, uh, you didn't make it out to any games, although they were hosting some in Columbus, weren't they? Was the, was the town kind of crazy? This weekend? Well, Bob, Matt, my good friends, I'm in a great mood. And I'll tell you that I wasn't in town, actually, once I figured out K-State was not going to be in Columbus. Uh, I went out to Tennessee for my birthday and had probably one of the most memorable 
birthdays of my life. Happy belated birthday. So happy, happy belated birthday. It. If I had a fireball appreciate shop for it very you, much. I'd be making you take it out of my belly button right now. Oh, baby. Uh, I had way too much to drink. Uh, my birthday was on... Hold on. What day? Yeah, my birthday was on Saturday. So Friday, we had the Montana State game, which, you know, ran late, like you said. To, uh, that that late game, it went all the way until midnight till the game was passed, and that was my birthday, and I proceeded to black out. So that was awesome. And then Sunday, uh, after the hangover birthday of Saturday day, Sunday leaving, coming back to Columbus, uh, I watched the game in a car on my phone. So, and I, I was super excited. It was outrageous, but it was the best weekend of my life, especially, I mean, birthday weekend of my life. It was just out of control. But love I that hear, for you. I did hear that um, Columbus was rocking. Uh, you know that Fairleigh Dickinson upset had the town all a buzz. People were partying, clowning on Purdue fans because Purdue fans packed the place out. Yeah, that game was absolutely nuts. I I was shocked that Purdue dropped that that first game and and became the second team to lose to a 16 seed ever in the tournament, which was, which was wild to me after, after, after all the talk about brackets and everything on last week's episode, uh, I could not be more disappointed with how my bracket has turned out at this point. A lot of very bad predictions and, and chef, I will give you credit where it's due. You called the Arkansas upset of KU. So, so credit to you for, for calling a pretty nice upset there. Thanks. You know, I mean, I don't want to look at the entirety of the bracket because in our bracket pool, I think I'm almost dead last, so it's it's not great. But you know, well, look. you're ahead of me, and I am in dead last. <laughs> well, so kudos to you. Thank you. That is a win for me. I'll take that win. Well, let's get into it. We've got two games to recap. The first one we'll probably spend less time on than the second one. I mean, the second one was was absolutely incredible. And like I mentioned in the intro, we'll, we'll probably go down as one of the greatest K-State NCAA tournament games to ever happen, certainly in my lifetime, but just maybe in all time. But but first off, we have a game against Montana State, which we've already alluded to. Uh, the 14 seed Bobcats of Montana State, the final was 77 to 65. Uh, as far as some of the statistics are concerned, then I'll throw it over to, to the two of you to, to talk through it. We had four guys in double-figure scoring. We had Keontae, Marquise, uh, Naquan Tomlin, and David Gasson, who were in double-figure scoring. Overall, the team shot 58% from the field, 26.7% from beyond the arc, and 75% from the line on only 12 free-throw opportunities. Uh, there were 14 turnovers in the game to Montana State's 16, which which falls below the 15 kind of magic number that Scott has talked about on Bosco's boys. Uh, but I think uh, I think my my ideal at magic number would probably be closer to 12, which I think is what Tang has mentioned. And then just to to touch on in more depth the individual performances, Keontae had 18 points, eight rebounds, and three assists. Marquise had 17 points, six rebounds, and 14 assists for a double double. Naquan Tomlin had 13 points and one rebound. And then David Gasson was in double figure scoring with 10 points and two rebounds. I think 
overall, the takeaways from this game and, and some other podcasts have stated this so far in, in a lot of the commentary on Twitter was this was a relatively stress-free game. I, I will say that that me watching these games, I almost never feel stress-free regardless of how comfortable the lead is or isn't. So I wasn't super stress-free during during that game, but but once we got into probably, I would say the last two to three minutes, it was like, okay, this this is going to be a kind of a cruise to victory type of situation. I'm curious for for the two of you, what what stood out to you in this Montana State victory, whether it's from the Cats side uh, on offense, whether it's something we did defensively. Uh, I'd just go ahead and gush about this Montana State victory, and and we'll start with the good chef. Yeah, let me start by saying uh, Montana State. I thought they were going to be. I would I would almost say below average, but they were a decent team. You know, I thought I thought they played offense very well. That Raekwon Battle kid, I mean, an absolute bucket. He he could fill. I would like to see him at the Power Five level. You know, he he. I mean, he did transfer from like Washington, but. That dude is a bucket. I really liked his game. Very good, strong isolation game. And I want to give him his flowers because I think he had almost 30. Yeah, he had and 27. That, 27 points. Yeah. yeah. And he, I mean, he and he was in foul trouble, I'm pretty sure, too. So, I mean, he was he he kind of took over that game and kind of kept them within like, you know, not striking distance, but kept them where it wasn't an absolute blowout, similar to their basketball game last season in the tournament versus Texas Tech. But K-State, you know, they had energy from start to finish, and that's what I really liked from the Cats. You know, they – it was it was everybody. And even Naquan being in foul trouble, which made me a little nervous, but we had the, we had the dudes like uh, Jerome Tang is going to tell you we have the dude. So, I mean, it was never really in question like you had said, Bob. Like, it was never a nervous moment in this game. It was – we extended the lead right before halftime, got it to six. Well, actually, they kind of stormed back a little bit and cut it to cut it to six. And then, you know, after that, it was just really just semantics. So we, would just, we just had to figure out a way to get the clock to get triple zeros. And that's what we did. And, you know – our dudes showed up. Keontae had an efficient game, 18 and 8. Marquise, an uh, absolute dime fest, throwing in, I mean, how many? 14. 14, I think, with, I mean, it probably was a 5 to 1 ratio or close to it, assist to turnover rate. And he he didn't even have to play the whole game. So we got Nate Aubrey in there and we got the, we got the, the bench in there to play in an NCAA tournament game, which was really nice. Yeah, you hit the uh, nail on the head. I mean, <laughs> I was nervous for this game because I think ultimately any NCAA tournament game, um, it puts your nerves up a little bit. I think seeing some of the upsets that we saw Thursday and in the early window on Friday, always it, it puts a little bit of a, a little bit of a doubt in the back of your mind, no matter how good your team is. Um, and it was nice to be able to see us uh, pull away a little bit in the second half. I mean, it, we are able to see how good this team can be 
in two situations. So uh, a situation where if Naquan Tomlin isn't on the floor because of foul trouble, um, and we obviously saw in the Kentucky game, um, you know, he what type of efficiency he can be when he is, is on the floor. Um, but it, this was just a classic game of, of if you're the better team, finding a way to win. It doesn't matter what the number of points, you know, the, uh, the number of points that you win by, as long as you win um, in each of the games. And um, I felt Keontae did a great job in this game. Again, as you said, being efficient, uh, shooting over 50% shooting. Um, and I mean, the team shot 58% from the floor. So you're going to win a lot of games if you're shooting 58% on the floor, um, even if your three-point percentage is under 30. So uh, again, it was a good win. It was a good way to really get the, the first win in a tournament and put some good momentum uh, when you're playing Kentucky the, uh, the following Saturday. Can I say this real quick? I mean, I know we have our group text and it's kind of funny. Like, we're the last game basically that evening. Well, I think there's one other game that was later than us. But throughout the throughout the day, you know, the day before and that day, it was just funny. Like, our <laughs> us coming to, to realize that our game was coming up and all the upsets. You had Princeton. You had, uh, obviously, the Purdue game. And those kind of things were being brought up as reasons why we couldn't be upset because we were, there was too many upsets that there's no way we could. I just thought that rationale was super funny to me. Like we're never going to get upset by Montana state because we've already seen too many. I just think that's hilarious. That was, I think I was the one that said that I was like, statistically, I don't think, because there have been this many upsets, I, I think we're we're like less likely to get upset. That was that was kind of my thought process, which was, I mean, it, it's kind of a stupid way to think about it. But in my head, I was like, well, there are only so many teams that can get upset in a year, right? And I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. And I, I you know, not a numbers guy, but those numbers add up. So I'm gonna take that every time. If there's there's too many upsets. You know, we're safe. There is never too many upset. My Lord. The par- you know, this this is the season for the parody in the NCAA tournament, which I feel like I've said this before on the show, that we're not going to see a one or two seed win the NCAA tournament this year. So that does bode well a little bit in our favor. Um, but I will say, uh, I mean, we don't have a, a little segment for this, but um, so I missed, I did miss the game um, because... I was at in Albany um, and Indiana was the late tip, but um, we have a, a good shot to win this thing. So does UConn as a four seed. So, um, but yeah, Montana state sucks. Let's talk about Kentucky. Let's talk about Kentucky. So this was one of my favorite games, just to be totally honest that I've ever watched K state play in basketball. Full stop. We had, Won the game. Okay, I'll just I'll start from the beginning. Six seed Kentucky. It's John Calipari. The dude's won a national championship. He's been to multiple Final Fours. I mean, they are the blue blood to end all blue bloods, right? Like this is the team that a lot of people think of first, along in the same breath as as North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, whatever. We beat them seventy five to sixty nine. This is the second time that we've beaten Kentucky ever, and the first time was 
you know, four, four years ago, right. 2019, no, five years ago, 2018, uh, against John Calipari with Bruce Weber. We, that was the Dean Barry cam team and, and Dean was unavailable for, for that elite eight run, unfortunately, but this was a huge win against a historic program. We had four guys in double figure scoring. It was, it was Marquise, Keontae, Naquan and Desi Sills. The team as a whole shot 48% from the field. Oh, really? What was an abysmal first half shooting three? Uh, we ended up reconciling some of that, getting it to 23.8% from beyond the arc. And, and we were 81% from the line with 22 total opportunities. Uh, the biggest headline for me, because we've talked about it all freaking season, it's limiting turnovers to eight total turnovers while also forcing 16 turnover turnovers for Kentucky uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So that was a massive headline for this game. <laughs> Kentucky out-rebounded the Cats 44 to 25, which is kind of crazy to think about just how physical this game was. And they were crashing the boards all, all damn day. But you can only crash the boards so much when you have a guy like Marquise Noel, who scores 27 points, had nine assists, two rebounds, and three steals. He shot seven for 14 from the field and three of eight from beyond the arc. Again, all of that was in the second half from the three-point line. He had a stunning 10 of 11 from the line. Again, the best free throw shooter in the Big 12 continued to deliver on his ability to shoot. From a charity stripe, he played all 40 minutes of the game and I just can't say enough about the game that he had visually. It was dazzling because you've got him throwing these alley-oops to, to Naquan alley-oop to, to Keontae in the first half. Um, I just, I I'm kind of speechless thinking about it still. And, and Marquise had an incredible game. I, before we get to the other players, I, I want to throw it over to the two of you because this is one of the, most brilliant individual performances we've seen in an NCAA tournament game for K-State by, by a player on our team. So I, I want to throw it over to the two of you. We'll start with Fireball Matt this time. What are your thoughts on, on the game that Marquise had? Uh, because it, it really is one for the record books, just as far as how much his performance meant to the team, I think. Yeah, um, I know we're going to talk about our Benedict Arnold friend, Robbie Triano, later. Um, but he did make a really good point about, I say that in jest, but he did make a really good point that if the rest of America had never watched Marquise Noel play basketball, he was going to become a household name after the NCAA tournament. And this was a game that really proved not just what we've seen all year from him, but he is one of the best point guards in America. Um, the performance was, was spectacular in a lot of ways. I mean, shooting the basketball, you know, he was 50% shooting. Um, he, but he made, you know, just some of the shots showed the different skill levels that he has. So he can get in the paint, getting by bigger defenders to be able to make a play. And then you have these outside shots and you've, we've seen his range all season, um, but then just being able to distribute the basketball, the way that he has, you know, just his vision is incredible. And, and it's not just putting his vision on one specific player. He's confident in every single player that's on the floor that if he's throwing a pass, they're going to be ready for him. Um, so then that player can make a play and it, it, it is going to be very interesting to see 
the Michigan State game in his first game um, playing in New York City in a long time. Um, but if he's able to put a performance I, like that or close to that um, in any that's going to be the way that it keeps us in these ball games. So it was that good of a performance to watch live and then watching it again uh, yesterday. Uh, it, it's just, it's really amazing to see how he's grown in his second year at the school. And he's like grown at the right time for not just this year, but that Kentucky game put him on another level. Yeah, he absolutely reached, you know, I don't even want to say that he's reached the pinnacle, but because he he still can climb and still make more and more plays and still add to his legacy here at K-State. He played a game, I mean, just two games in a row. Just think of the tournament as, as a whole so far. Playing games and being a floor general and leading this team in exactly what we need. You know, that Kentucky game, because that's what we're talking about right now. You know, he's – how many did he have at half? Four? Maybe four at half? And, you know, the, the game is going back and forth. They had runs. We, we got runs. And the energy was missing at times. And then sometimes it's on absolute uh, 10, especially at, after Desi gets us back into the – back into the game in the first half, and then all of a sudden Marquise just turns into, you know, uh, what's his name, Curly Webb from the Harlem Globetrotter. I think it's Curly, uh, whatever. But he turns into a Harlem Globetrotter and is, you know, throwing behind the back passes to Keontae, between the legs to Keontae, you know, a no-looker to Naquan Tomlin to at, a, at the buzzer. These are These are kind of things that, you know, transcend – these transcend transcendental moments. I just made that word up that, you know, it just brings them to another level and our fandom can't get any more. We just can't fill it anymore because we're just like, Oh, we're just floating around in Marquise Noel, Marquise Noel's greatness and halftime comes around. And then, you know, he sees what needs to happen. We're, we're struggling. Keontes can't find a bucket at that time. Naquan is doing Naquan things, and you know he just gets in his bag, and then he starts scoring. And a three-point shot in the corner, over top of uh, uh, what's his name, Oscar Shibway. It re- that really opened the floodgates because I think after that we went what maybe. Four of like four of seven, four of seven from three, and man, the dude, the dude was in his bag, and I couldn't be more happy for that guy because you know it just was something that he wanted to get to New York, and he got the dreams have come true. We're finally, we're finally going to be at MSG versus Michigan State, but we could talk about that Kentucky game all day. I mean, I could break down every play. I'm excited to talk to you guys about it. I mean, it was just, it was an incredible performance. And, and I, I think you brought up a good point, Matt, in that if he can have a performance even close to that in any of these next games, I think that's critical because we, he, he in a way almost offsetted a really quiet night for Keontae compared to what we're used to seeing from Keontae. Um, 
Keontae had 13 points, four rebounds, three assists. He was five for 14 from the field and one for four from beyond the arc, including that really incredible step back three. Uh, and he was two, uh, two for two from the line. But it was a fairly quiet day for him, all things considered, compared to some of the performance that we have seen from him. And being able to offset that is is incredible. But I think if that's what a quiet night for Keontae looks like and, and we get a you know 75 to 100% night from Keontae and a 75 to 100% night for Marquise, this team could do some major damage against any team that they play, whether that's Michigan State, whether that's Florida Atlantic or Tennessee, or whether that's Alabama or Houston, who knows, who knows what's next. I think these team, this team has the capability to beat anyone in the country on any given night. If those two guys are, are firing even close to all, all cylinders. And, and the thing that I also want to say is we did also get a third and a fourth and a fifth guy in, in this game that, that had really good moments as well, that, that helped, bolster that performance even further. And, and I'm going to talk about those we had. We had 12 points and six rebounds from Naquan Tomlin. He also paired that up with four blocks and two steals. Uh, he led the way on the court with blocks for both teams uh, in that matchup against Kentucky. And then Desi Sills, who I, I think Grant, Grant KSU, Grant Postmortem, whatever you want to call him, he had a really great comment about Desi is the X factor. And, and if Desi is on that, again, only bolsters the performance of this team and what this team is capable of. He had 12 points, four rebounds, and one steal. One steal. And then finally, Swish pursued Big 12-ish. He had his only bucket of the game from three when K-State was uh, – we were down one, and that, that three-pointer put us up two with 219 left on the clock. And, and I think that three, even though it was his only point of the night, only bucket of the night – that shifted momentum completely in our favor, and, and we were able to close close the coffin and, and call it a day uh, because of some of the momentum that Ish was able to provide with that three-pointer. Uh, last but not least, I want to talk about David Gassani. He had three steals. I personally think that he really set the tone for the physicality of this game, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because he was all over <laughs> he was all over everybody on defense, especially in that first half. I think defensively. Visually, it looked like the team trailed off a little bit in the second half, late in the second half. And, and honestly, I'm glad they did because we had guys who were in foul trouble and they were calling pretty much everything as far as fouls are concerned. So, you know, there were some moments where we just let Shibwe walk to the bucket and, and score. And I honestly, I would rather have that happen than get more guys in foul trouble. Um, because, you know, if you look at if you look at the box score and look at some of the guys who, who were in foul trouble, you know, David Gasson fouled out of a game with five. Uh, Naquan Tomlin had three and we had three other guys who had two, uh, two fouls. You know, we, there were a couple guys that there's one guy at least that fouled out two guys, two guys that fouled out for Kentucky. That was Casey Wallace and Jacob Toppin. So they were calling pretty much everything. I'm, I'm glad that we let that happen as far as just letting some guys walk to the bucket in the second half. But at the same time, I'm just glad that David Gasson set the tone for the physicality on defense uh, in that matchup in the first half. And I want to add, and, and as much as it, the player brought up here, the, the coaching that <clears throat> the coaching philosophy that Jerome Tang put into this with his staff was understanding that Oscar Shibway is going to get his points and he's going to get his rebounds. 
I mean, there's a reason why he's the best rebounder in the country. There's a reason why he was the player of the year in college basketball last year. The ability to try and get him uncomfortable in certain situations based off of how the defense, you know, how our defense would play against him, but then how he was going to have to play defense against us. And the players that you've talked about outside of Keontae and Marquise Noel, the way that we used David Gasson in this game was absolutely poetic. It was smart because he's going to be physical. Oscar's going to be the most physical guy on the floor, but David Gasson's going to be out there playing his best defense against him. And if he fouls him, but puts him in a situation where he's not getting in ones that I'm not going to call that a win, but that's a, a cog in the wheel for trying to beat Kentucky is, you know, not giving up easy layups and trying to at least maintain um, some sensibility of getting defensive rebounds. Um, and, you know, Naquan Tomlin did a good job with that. The double teams that we put inside, it, it was a really smart game plan of leveraging these players to be something that, you know, a specific role that they needed to be in order to beat Kentucky. And, Rewatching the game and seeing that, that was one of the most impressive things I felt uh, out of this game. Yeah, I mean, you say David Gasson brought the physicality and you bring up Ish Masood's one bucket is a, a dagger three that gave us the lead back. But really, for me, it was his post defense because imagine trying to tell us before Big 12 play started that we're going to put Ishmael Masood on Oscar Shibway in the biggest game of the season one-on-one. Just let him front. That's what we're going to have to do. You, We would have said that is the, the dumbest strategy in the history of the world. But Ishmael Masood held his own. He battled. He absolutely dug deep and did what he had to do, staying in front of Oscar Shibway. Even when the refs were letting Oscar Shibway just sit in the paint for 12 seconds, 15 seconds at a time, no three-second call, he's kept, he kept in the fight. And, and like you just said, Matt, that's the strategy. If you're going to have a dominant big, that's, that's going to be your main cog of your offense. We've got bodies on bodies that need to just go in there and absolutely beat the dog shit out of him. Foul every freaking time. They're going to call fouls anyway. They, like we saw in the second half, I mean, they were in the double, basically the double bonus or maybe just the bonus at like 12 minutes left in the half. Like there's nothing you could have done. So if we're going to just, if we're going to get fouls anyway, just go and send those big bodies in there. Make them have to, make them have to give it to Shibway far away from the paint and foul him. That's what I, I love that strategy that we did, and I love the execution from the players. What other takeaways do the do the two of you have from this Kentucky game? And and before you know, just a, as a heads up for the rest of the audience, we're going to move on to the Michigan State preview. I see a certain friend of the pod who was in the audience and is not in the audience anymore, so we may or may not be able to have an appearance by him, but. Uh, let let me know from the two of you, what other takeaways do you have from this Kentucky game before we move on and, and start to talk about Michigan State? Don't talk about Russell Buchanan like that. Um, I, I I think the the overarching theme here is we have the ability to win a game, even if it isn't a good shooting night. Um, we've shown throughout this season the ability to 
win games that may not fit our game plan. And the Kentucky game was a really good, good source for that. Um, I, I think this type of win provides so much momentum going into a game on Thursday because you were in an environment that was purely Kentucky, pro-Kentucky. And so basically a road game, which, as we know, playing on the road this year has been a struggle in many ways. And so to be able to come out with a victory, especially in the last two minutes of a game, it shows the senior leadership. They don't get overwhelmed. They did not get flustered in that moment. And the NCAA tournament is just going to provide learning opportunities like that that prepare you for Michigan State. So the the Kentucky game, you know, as you said, uh, Mr. Trollsby, like it was a it was a fun matchup for a lot of the NCAA tournament games that Team K State in. That was one that really drew a lot of emotions because we there were a few times where I thought it was going to get out of hand. And this team fought, and they did what they needed to do. So it was pretty special. It drew a lot of emotions from the Kansas State fan, you know, Emon Nation online and all that. But it really it drew eyeballs, dude. It drew eyeballs. It it put K State and our players and our coaches on a national stage, standalone game, CBS, middle of the afternoon on a Sunday. Like, everybody's watching that game. It is investment versus the, like Bob Trollsby said, the pinnacle brand in college basketball. A team that has 40-plus Sweet 16 appearances, and we're the team standing in in their way to get, add one more to their total. What did we do? We showed up. Marquise Noel turns himself into a national darling on national TV in front of everybody. And now we are the story of the NCAA tournament in all, in all reality. I mean, all these other games that are happening in the sweet 16, they are, they, they're either teams that are, you know, weren't expected to be there like, uh, like the Yale teams. I mean, uh, the Princeton teams or the Florida Atlantic teams. But when you have, another brand like Michigan State and Kansas State. You know, the, the we're the game now that everybody's talking about. And we're, yet again, we have another standalone game, first game of the Sweet 16 coming up versus Michigan State. And I, I can't wait to talk to you guys about it. I was I was really hoping that Robbie Triano would stay on the podcast, but uh, Mister Mister Triano seems to be a little bit of a coward. He doesn't want to talk about his his Michigan State Spartans, but that's okay because we can talk about them without him. Michigan State, we all know who coaches Michigan State. His name's Tom Izzo. The dude is an absolute freak of a head coach. He's won multiple NCAA tournament games. He has brought Michigan State to the level of kind of similar to what we discussed last week, being, you know, essentially a blue blood. So they are the seven seed. They are 21 and 12 overall this season. They're 11 and eight in the Big Ten. Uh, they are the only remaining Big Ten team playing in the uh, tournament so far. So that's an interesting little little anecdote there. Uh, as far as the rankings are concerned, uh, in Ken Palm, they're 25th overall. That's four spots behind where we stand currently. 
They are 38th in adjusted offense and 31st in adjusted defense. As far as the net rankings are concerned, uh, they are 33rd. K-State is 23rd. Uh, so they're they're solidly behind us in that in that regard. As far as the conference, they finished fourth overall in the Big Ten behind Purdue, Indiana, and Northwestern. Just to talk a little bit about their season so far, I'm I'm not going to paint it the same way that, that Robbie did last week. He was essentially just shit-talking the entire team and how strong they are. I'll give them a little bit more credit than a Michigan State fan would. Uh, they played a strong schedule. They started out the season with games against Gonzaga, Kentucky, and Alabama in the non-conference, so there's a common opponent there. In Kentucky, they went one and two in those matchups, dropping the games to Alabama and Gonzaga, and they won against Kentucky. They finished eight and three overall in non-conference play with the number sixth strength of schedule, according to Ken Palm in the nation. Uh, They started off four and one through their next five games in conference play and then trailed off losing five of their next seven. And then they flipped that in their final seven games, uh, going five and two uh, heading into the conference tournament where they dropped a game. To Ohio State, who was not a good team this year, but went on a deep run in the Big Ten tournament and lost that game by 10. In the first round, they beat USC uh, by 10, and then they beat Marquette by nine points on Sunday. Uh, as far as the common opponents are concerned, it's Kentucky and Nebraska. So it's it's hard to, to measure how we performed in relation to Michigan State because those were two wins for, for both K-State and Michigan State. Uh, and, and they won all three matchups given that they had two matchups against Nebraska. Um, so interesting when you look at the, at the two schedules and as far as some of the guys to watch for, you've got Tyson Walker, uh, who's a guard. He's played in 33 of their games. He averages 33.8 minutes a night. Uh, and he's their leading scorer with 14.8 points per night. You've got Joey Hauser, who's their second leading scorer just behind, uh, Tyson Walker with 14.3 points a night. He's a forward. Uh, and playing, it played in games with again averaging 33.9 minutes, very similar. Uh, but he is more of a rebounder. He's the leading rebounder, from what I can tell, on the team with 7.1 rebounds per game. And uh, I guess the, the only other guy that's in double figures, averaging in in scoring, is AJ Hoggard, who's a guard, uh, averages 30 minutes a night. He's um, he's averaging 12.5 points per game. Uh, with 3.7 rebounds and 5.9 assists. So uh, I guess to, to, I want to pivot now. What are some things that the two of you are looking for in this game? And, and before we, we get into that, one thing I do want to point out, because it's been mentioned on a couple other podcasts, is Michigan State's 345th in the nation in forced turnovers per possession. And that would be the worst team that we faced all season in forced turnovers per possession although I will say they forced 16 against Marquette. So that would be above our, you know, quote unquote magic number of turnovers. So I uh, just wanted to throw that tidbit in there, but, but what are some things that the two of you are looking for in this matchup against Michigan state uh, on Thursday? Uh, I can start with kind of uh, echoing your point. We can't be idiotic with the basketball. Um, we saw against Kentucky, the lack of turnovers. I mean, eight is you know, ultimately you don't want to have a turnover in a game. Right. And, um, so you have to manage that number as effectively as possible. Um, we just can't be idiotic with the basketball. You know, we have to be smart. Marquise Noel, I I think is going to shine in the moment and kind of keep, keep things in line a little bit. Um, the thing that scares me about Michigan state is the, 
it's knowing that Tom Izzo is going to have some time to prepare for this team um, and prepare for this game. Um, he's proven over time that he's able to take a team like this farther than they probably should go. But I, I do like our chances in this game very heavily. Uh, the guard play that Michigan State will have, uh, they are a team that is successful shooting the three-pointer. I just see from a defensive perspective, game planning against that and trying to have their guards use the forwards a little bit more than maybe they're used to. And that's going to put us in a position where uh, if we're playing good interior defense, we can get some turnovers similar to the Kentucky game and get their guards in a position where they're having to overplay their hand and have them make mistakes. So uh, I like the matchup for us in this which is very scary to say because this is probably one of the biggest basketball games we've had. Well, this would be probably the biggest game we've had since the Elite Eight year uh, against Loyola Chicago. But uh, I think the moment is going to be really – it's a business trip for these guys, even though it's a homecoming. And from the quotes and everything that we're hearing, they're they're treating this like a business trip, like they're here to play basketball and – um, it's, it will be very interesting to see the type of matchup that Tom is his game plan in trying to stop Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. And is this going to be a Naquan Tomlin game or a Desi Sills game where they really shine and, and put themselves out there to really have to be the, the X factor or the player that's going to lead this team to a victory. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. You know, those are all great points, Matt. And what I'm, and I agree completely with all of those, you know, but what I'm looking for specifically as as a statistic, because you brought up the turnovers, and I think that is a very good point because they don't force a lot of turnovers, similar to Kentucky, even less than Kentucky. And we saw the great success that we had that we only had eight turnovers. And if we could replicate that, that'll be very, very huge. But what, in my opinion, it's, which one of these teams is going to break out of their three-point shooting slump? Because Kansas State over those two tournament games is 11 of 42 from the three-point line. And Michigan State, who is statistically a top 10, actually a top five three-point shooting team, they were they were as high as three before this tournament uh, started. They're seven of 30 in, from the three-point arc in these two games. <laughs> So my question is, which one of these teams is going to break out of their slump first? And if we come out and we're hitting guns blazing because you listen to the Kentucky post game and they they were not upset with how the three-point shooting from uh, how Kansas State shot the three-point. Because in the first half, it was guys that are uncharacteristically uh, shooting threes at a volume because we had Gasson take threes. We had Naquan take threes, Desi taking threes. Um, I think Keontae only had one three point. Attempt. I don't, he's only hit one three point attempt in this, uh, this postseason so far, but the other guys are not no. And camp Carter taking multiple threes in the, in that, in that half, you know, those are not the guys that we think about when we think about Kansas state, Sharp shooting from three. It's Ish, uh, Keontae, 
Marquise. So who's going to break out of that slump? And if it's us, we could really bury this team because if we're taking care of the ball and we're getting shots up and we're making even uh, just a slight increase from what we've been shooting from three, we bury this team because they like to pack it in. But if we make them have to step out and defend some of the three-point shooters, we're going to have a field day on it because, you know, uh, Joey Hauser, I think that's his name, Hauser. He he's going. I think he's going to be put on Keontae and the athletic um, discrepancy between between those two is going to be uh, telling, and it's going to be kind of ridiculous. So, I think they have a small point guard similar to Marquise's standard uh, stature. So, I don't think it's a physical thing. I'm not too worried about their physical stature like Kentucky had way better athletes than this Michigan State team they had a dominant dominant big and Michigan State crashes the glass they're tough but they're nowhere near the, the glass crashers that Kentucky Oscar Sheepway so if we're burying some threes and we can defend their three-point shots at the rate that they're shooting them now, we're going to bury this team bad. It's going to be, it's going to get ugly quick. I, in my opinion. Okay. You bring up three point shooting though. I, I want to ask the two of you because we're fans of tinfoil hat conspiracies. What was up with the rims in Greensboro? Because pretty much every team shot like ass from the three in Greensboro Coliseum with the exception of that Xavier pick game. I, I think they started to turn things around in that one. But it seemed like every single team who was playing in Greensboro this weekend had a terrible time shooting from the three. So do you think there was something up with the rims there? Because it seemed to affect pretty much everybody that played in that in that arena. Well, it was really convenient for the rims to not be fucked up during the K-State-Montana State game where the over-under was 140 and we it was 141, I believe. Um, and I'd bet the under because the other three games were under, so who'd have thought? But um, it'll be nice. I mean, Madison Square Garden's got to have good rims, right? You know, you'd assume for uh, the Knicks and everybody. So, um, you know, it. I I think it was a little bit of a conspiracy, uh, obviously, with how Iowa State shot. Um, they shot themselves in the foot uh, when they decided not to do additional warm-ups, even though they were offered it. Uh, maybe thinking they were a little too good to have to do that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it was a little bit of a conspiracy theory. What was it that I, uh, the Xavier, was it Xavier and Kennesaw State? Were they playing in Greensboro? Yeah. Yeah. That was the game. Oh, that and really that's, started that's the, the game where they, that's the game where they measured it, right? And like adjusted it and all that stuff. So. You ain't got to run a conspiracy by me that I'm not going to believe because I'll put that tinfoil hat on real quick and I'll believe it. I, I also had a picture of Brett Yormark talking to uh, what's the oh here we go stop here we go oh my gosh Rodney there's Terry. a picture yes there is a picture online of them talking be like in the tunnel and I've got some sources saying what they were talking about but I mean I could save that for another time. And, and and maybe if Texas is still still alive after the, the next time we're on, I'll reveal what what's said. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll save that for for a, potentially a third topic for guys talking ball. But 
real quick, I want to, I want to throw this to the two of you before we move on uh, to guys talking ball, but the winner of this game will advance to the elite eight to play the winner of Florida Atlantic and Tennessee in the East regional final for a chance to play in the final four. If K state is able to pull off a victory on Thursday, who would you rather match up against in the Saturday slate? Would you prefer to play, you know, legendary head coach Rick Barnes, who has a really tough team playing in, in Knoxville there in Tennessee, or would you rather match up against the darling, the Florida Atlantic owls who they're pretty highly rated in Ken Palm. They've, they've had a very good season statistically, but they play, I think at the conference USA, they're, they're, you know, they, they weren't really a major topic of conversation nationally until the tournament. So I'm curious from the, both of your, your perspectives here, who would you rather face Tennessee or Florida Atlantic? Mm -hmm. This is tough because Tennessee, I think on paper is probably the tougher matchup for us. Um, but there's something about not wanting to play Florida Atlantic with them getting a chance to make it to the final four as a, who does the nation really want to see the game win? Um, it, it just gives me some of those vibes from the Loyola Chicago situation. Um, yeah, personally, I, I think the Tennessee game would be a pretty entertaining game, albeit a very stressful one. Um, I, I, I will say this though. I don't know. I, I could see either team winning that game. Um, the late game on, on Thursday night, I could easily see any one of those teams winning. So, you know, for me as a fan, I, I personally don't necessarily care. Um, cause I think there's pros and cons to either one. Um, it, it would just be an interesting matchup to see us against Tennessee and managing some of that physicality, versus Florida Atlantic, who's kind of, I mean, in a similar situation with us, you could say of playing with house money this season. Um, that would be my, my two cents. Yeah. The, the, it, it's, it's tough because, you know, they've Florida Atlantic's got a lot of bouncy guards and athletic, athletic guards and a, a really tall, big that can get it done inside on the offensive glass, similar to what we've seen with Oscar, Oscar Shewe. I think this guy's, way taller than him though but uh Tennessee I thought they were going to struggle to score in this tournament but you know it comes to find out they they're really big and they play really really physical bully ball type defense which is you know some would say they're fouls but you know some would say that they're playing a different game than we are so it just depends on what you're looking for I think we could we could physically stay with Tennessee. I think we could physically stay with anybody. And I just think it would be better if we beat a name brand like Tennessee before we have to play San Diego State to go to the national championship, which will be incredible in Houston. Playing for a national championship after beating San Diego State, it, it'll, be, it'll be super cool. So you're predicting the Aztecs for the record. All right. All right. You heard it here first. And before we get into guys talking ball, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Spotify for podcasters. All right. And we are talking ball. It's guys talking ball. I think first, first and foremost, there was a really weird thing that happened on Twitter today where fireball Matt kicked this all off by quote tweeting 
what was it? You quote tweeted me because <laughs> I was I I tweeted out I tweeted out the audio clip of Robbie last week, basically shitting on Michigan State, and you you quote tweeted that you had found the receipts at Dylan's, which prompted this whole big long thread with Bob Strawn and and Cole Manbeck, who you know quote tweeted his own like tweeted out the press conference of Kirk Schultz and John Curry talking about the receipts for Jamar Samuels that happened to show up in the compliance office. I mean, Matt, I'm just going to throw it over to you to, to kind of give a little bit of a background on, on what we're talking about here. And, uh, and potentially if anybody else has some color on Bob Strawn and some of the stuff that's being talked about on Twitter, uh, we can, we could do that too, but, but I'm just going to, I'm going to let you cook. Well, first off, I can't believe that a simple tweet just proving how our friend in quotations, Robbie Triano, is bad-mouthing the Cats from what he said about Michigan State last week on this show about how it is the worst team he watched ever at Michigan State and almost cut it off with, I don't think Tom Izzo should be fired. So if that doesn't provide at least a little bit of proof of, okay, Robbie really doesn't like this Michigan State team, but he really has to cheer for his childhood team against his true Big 12 love, Kansas State. It is what it is. But anyway, so I did quote Tree tweet you, Bob, when you took the recording of the call last week or of our, our show. And I had said, I found the receipts at a Manhattan Dillon's, which if you were have been associated with K-State basketball in the past, um, the 2012 season had us with a really good opportunity against the Syracuse Orange um, in a second round tournament game. They were number one, but they one of their best players was out. And... We had the potential um, to have our full team at strength against them. And a situation occurred where a receipt was found at a grocery store in Manhattan, which prompted or which was sent in to the compliance office because it was thought that a player was accepting impermissible benefits. And it ended up that Jamar Samuels was a player that was implicated or whatnot and he was suspended for the game and we would then lose the game so i tweeted that just as a joke obviously robbie's not going to catch that but some maybe some other k-state fans would and it has now blown up into like my mentions are just getting absolutely hammered right now about bob strawn who, uh, if anybody knows Bob Strawn, I believe he was the city commissioner in Manhattan. I don't know if anybody can confirm that. His uh, Twitter bio says that he's the mayor emeritus. So at one point he was the mayor. Okay. So he's like the shittiest mayor ever. No, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't have any idea who he is other than he was the mayor. So, So what this leads to, so Cole posted the video of the press conference. And then this Bob Strong guy comes in and says, not sure why this is brought up now, but personally, I shopped daily at Dylan's and Jam Sam was there all the time. Highly unusual. Seldom see student athletes at a grocery store for obvious reasons. 
Naturally, Curry was circumspect with his reply. And so that ended up kind of just blowing up. And then Cole put him on the spot and asked Bob, was it you that turned in the receipt? And he didn't deny it. He just said the circumstances were odd. That's my point. He wasn't shopping. He was waiting in the lobby. This happened at least three or four times during my random visits. Frank then... Frank then said he was receiving payments from a friend of the family, absurdity on steroids. So, I mean, this is, this just kind of blew up into a whole thing where, where, okay, people are now just asking Bob, did, did you turn in Jamar Samuels? Were the, were you the one that turned in the receipt? And it's just, it's complete absurdity. I mean, Matt, you've got like 10,000 impressions on this tweet now. It's it's absolutely blowing up. Uh, I, I just want, I want to open it up to the group, I guess, like for any of you that, that participated in the thread or any of you that are familiar with the situation. I mean, just I mean, share your share your candid thoughts if you have them. I, I only participated as far as, um, you know, noticing that it turned into an ass eating, you know, thread. And I didn't know if I should hop in at that point, but you know, I I'm not too keen on what exactly happened in that uh, the Jamar Samuels whole saga. But this guy seems like he's a rat, and I don't like rats. He's a very Robbie Triano kind of style about him. And if he if he ruined that season for Jamar Samuels, then you know that guy deserves you know, to be scorned and accused of eating ass. I, I will state this, that I, um, in my tweet, I obviously was wanting to um, prove that Robbie Triano is not who he says he is in quotations. Um, and the fact that Bob Strong got brought into this, I've never met him. He, maybe he's a nice guy, but um you know, the, the whole, as a student, I was, just, this is my senior year and I was pretty excited about being able to play Syracuse because Jamar Samuel was a, a key player on that team um, and kind of how they came back and whatnot. And uh, so it, it was definitely a kind of a sad and stupid situation, but you know what, if he added himself today as the guy um, on Twitter and, you know, 12 years ago, 11 years ago, I'm pretty proud that it was my tweet that got there. I like, I have, I feel good about myself today. I don't know why. I don't think that guy is a real person. I've been Googling him the entire time we've been talking about it. And like, there is, Manhattan is not that big. That is not that common of a name. And there is nothing. If he had been the mayor, he would really exist. So I, I think this guy took us all for a ride. I mean, cats, man, I, will the thrill any commentary? Sorry, Matt. Sorry, Matt. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I could have swore. I saw some, I saw some yard signs of this guy once. I could swear. All, all I'll say. Yeah. Cats, man, we can hear you. All I'll say is that guy, he comments under every single tweet. I have. He has been for quite a while. It's he's an interesting guy. I, but this whole situation with the Jamar Samuels thing was a little bit before my time. I was still in high school, so I can't really speak on that. But Strani is definitely a character. <laughs> I've definitely gotten into it with him on just 
random stuff that he's nitpicked in tweets before, uh, which was very bizarre. Uh, I think it only happened once or twice, but uh, will the thrill any any thoughts or commentary on on the whole Twitter thread situation? I I got completely lost trying to go down that rabbit hole, like with all the comments that it drew. I I didn't even get half. I didn't get through half of what you guys were stating. So I'm trying to even catch up. Well, there was a point where our commissioner, Bob Trollsby, did say that he would eat anyone out. Could you say that again? Please elaborate. Commissioner Trollsby? Please elaborate. Uh, frankly, frankly, you know, that was that was a tweet from Grant Postmortem, actually, not not from not from me, the commissioner. Uh, I had a I had a typo that was autocorrected on my phone to say eating uh, eating someone out as opposed to ratting someone out, um, which, you know, I was just trying to get to the root of the situation with Bob and, and Bob Strani and, and whether or not he was the one that actually ratted out Jamar Samuel. So, so I just want to make a quick point of clarification there, but you know, that said, I do want to, uh, to really quickly throw it back over to chef Andre Napier, because you had a topic that you were hoping to discuss tonight regarding Kentucky fans and some of their outbursts again, also on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, if it was me, I would, I could just go on, you know, for days and days looking at, random tweets from random uh what were you calling them matt were you calling them karen tucky fans i think that's very very suiting yeah i feel a little bad about that now actually i don't i (laughs) don't you shouldn't feel bad don't feel bad and you know we could do that and read and i just i think it really we don't have to read specific texts i mean uh, specific tweets but just highlight some of the topics on why they're upset because I think it kind of, you know, Kansas state fans were kind of a little butthurt when, you know, Calipari did his thing post game and, you know, dropping the little kid, uh little kid jab at Marquise Noel. And I, I obviously saw that they made kissed and made up uh since then, but you know, these Kentucky fans all in their feelings about, Jerome Tang's post-game comments, you know, Mark, uh, Naquan Tomlin's pre-game comments. You know, it's just, it was never ending. They were just trying to find things that they were upset about. Sorry, I had a sneeze. Nobody wanted to hear that. So, you know, they just, they wanted something to be upset about. And my favorite, literally my favorite is the Jerome Tang thing. Uh, a big Kentucky Twitter poster uh, took his comments completely out of context and chopped off the rest of what he said after that, uh, which is hilarious in its own right to be upset about something that you made up. So I don't remember. What was the exact? Is this the guy? Are you talking about Kenneth Griffin at at K Griffin? No, no, no. Four, four. Not that he was one, but I think he was replying to the the buddy Kentucky fan, his uh the the Twitter handle Buddy or something like that. Uh yeah, Buddy Big Blue Bud. He uh he had posted about Jerome Tang, he has said chose violence, all those old dudes that played at Kentucky, they aren't coming back. Tradition does not keep does not help 
you if you do not get out there on the floor and play with some dudes. That's what Jerome Tang had said, but he didn't complete the you know the whole Jerome Tang quote saying that we have dudes, we had more dudes than they had dudes. So you know it's it's little things like that that they're just finding some way to cope with that they got their their asses spanked by you know a team rich in tradition. So fuck Kentucky. You know, the most depressing part about it is what are they really going to go back to after this? You know, the only thing that they really cheer for is Kentucky basketball. And unfortunately, you know, their $9 million a year coach didn't have a good game plan uh, and didn't get it together. And, you know, be, you know losing to K-State twice in the NCAA tournament in a five-year span, for them, that's like... <sighs> Unfortunately, they just feel, you know, a little bit of a little brother syndrome, maybe. Um, it It's just very weird to hear all the excuses. Like, I feel like we do, we, we have excuses on our side, but maybe, you know, it's a little bit more in jest. These people are just over the top. I mean, I don't even know if they have any logic. How do you feel about Jerome Tang? Like, we... We, I, that's a bad way to say it. We all know how we feel. I about love him. Jerome Tang. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying, in terms of how when we first got him, you know, we when we first got him on at the on the job at K State, he was kind of this, you know, buttoned up kind of guy. I mean, he he had a little bit of cockiness to him. We didn't, we kind of saw a little twinge of it, but now, I mean, he has gone. He's not a heel, not a full-blown heel, but he he's ready to talk his shit about K-State and stand up to, like, Kentucky, like, beat writers, like, trying to get him to kiss kiss their feet about their program. And he he's not taking no shit, and I like that he talks a little bit of shit, and I like that his players talk a little bit of shit. Like, we brought up Marquise Noel, and we talked about his game, but, I mean, he was barking. I mean, absolutely Barking at Calipari on the sideline, he did a he did a little pistols like uh, symbol right at the at the Kentucky bench. I mean that was kind of pushing it, but you know, fuck it, why not? He, he threw up the 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 pistol right at the bench and took a couple shots, and he even spiked the ball after he made that layup and he thought he had an and one on Oscar. He threw that ball down, and we got one of the most iconic K State photos of all time from it. So I just want to know how you feel about Jerome Tang talking a little bit of shit and maybe that leading into his team. I think that he's kept it on topic pretty much the entire time. Like you say, maybe he was a little bit more buttoned up at the beginning, but I think the topic and the subject matter is all pretty much remain the same. When you talk about elevating the program, he has done that. I think he's just kind of talking. He's he's almost just closing the loop on it, so to speak, because he has elevated this program and he started with two people on the roster, two scholarship athletes on the roster. And I think when when it comes to his his commentary around Kentucky was this team also has a lot of history. And and I think that's something that that resonates with me, similar to what we talked about last week. There's there's that book that it's you know, one of my favorite books, it's time to play Jack Gardner basketball in Kansas state. We have a lot of rich history and tradition too. And I think that's not talked about enough, frankly, on a national level, on a regional level or local level, there are K state fans that don't even know 
the history of this program and what what has been accomplished, whether it was 70, 80 years ago or, or you know, even even 40, 30 when we or 30 when we talk about like Long Kruger and, and Jack Hartman, and some of those teams in the 80s. So I think him him saying what he said about we had more dudes than them today is totally accurate because we did. I mean, they, they had dudes, we had dudes, but we had more dudes than they did that day. And, and we won that game because of it. And I think these Kentucky fans who were butthurt about, you know, him, him talking something, saying something around the lines of, you know, we have history too, that he's not trying to compare K-State to Kentucky. He's just trying to say that the history that we have is more than people make it out to be. It's more than people, think about when they think about Kansas state basketball in, in most cases. So I, I think he's kept it pretty topical. Maybe he's, he's gotten a little bit more aggressive in how he's delivered those messages, but I think I love it. Like I, I love to have a coach that has some swagger who isn't afraid to talk some shit and, and back it up when, when he does do so. I mean, there's no point in bowing down to other programs when you're trying to build one back up. Right, like we, as you said, K State does historically have one of the top, probably twenty-five basketball schools in the history of college basketball. And this, the fact that in his first season, he's doing a lot of things to to kind of revamp, I would say, and revisualize what this program can be. And I mean, we're not we're just seeing it on social media with some of the just some of the things that they're posting about, you know, this team and how this coaching staff is just really relaxed and getting to know these players and, and being together with these players. And it, this is a program that if they continue to develop and continue to do great things in recruiting, um, you know, you're, you're going to be talking at the same level as some of these other schools and other blue blood schools. I feel like want, lesser programs to bow down to them if that lesser program wins because they want us to feel like we have to respect them for what they've done in the past and they don't look at what's going on right now and i'm not saying k-state is the top basketball program and it's not a blue blood it's not but it to be able to be competitive and be a talking point and be something from a marketing perspective of like, this is a cool school to come to and play basketball and develop your basketball skills and be on a team that's going to consistently be in the NCAA tournament. That is the one thing that Jerome Tang and his staff are doing, and they're doing it extremely well um, to where media are noticing it, maybe a little late compared to what you know we've been seeing this year, but this is the time for the media to be noticing it. And getting that type of recognition is only going to help us moving forward. Yeah. Will, will the thrill when you have two all Americans on your team, at what point do you, at what point should you not be humble? Because you have the better basketball team. What is he supposed to say? Oh, they had, they had great players out there, but we just, you know, we just got to found a way to get it done. No, no, fuck that. We have, we have two All-Americans. We have the most All-Americans on one team out of anybody left in the NCAA tournament. So please tell me why we shouldn't say that we have the most dudes out on the court. Yo, that it, it was absolutely a, a belligerent uh, 
message that was sent. Like, not only that, but you just took out a a you know a a team that is there consistently, you know, without giving them too much credit because I'm still mad about it. But you know, you just took out Kentucky. Let the man have his stage. Um, and, and nothing that he said was not factual. There, it has been shown the last couple of years that Kentucky isn't the Kentucky of old. So, yeah, those those guys aren't going to come back and save the fucking team. So, yeah, there's so much wrong about that comment that just sent me side. Bob, what what was the guy that you were talking about? The guy in the cutoff T-shirt. Oh, the dude with the Charizard tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think his name. Hold on, sorry, I just went upstairs to grab a drink. His name was was it Kenneth Griffin? Let me just double check here. As I scroll through, sit back down, sit back down at my desk. His name was Kenneth Griffin at K Griffin 044. Uh, he quote tweeted a picture of Jerome Tang just looking like happy as hell. I think it was probably after like the Texas win or, or the KU win it. Um, or no, it, it's definitely in Bramlage. So it wasn't after the Texas it was probably after the KU win, honestly. Uh, he's looking happy, he's stoked, he's fired up. And the, the tweet says, this is without a doubt the most classless, P.O.S. Miserable excuse for a human being in all of college basketball. Why would you make the postgame statement he made when you were behind for most of the game? Jerome Tang, finger emojis, and that's that's his tweet. Uh, you look at the picture of the dude. He like he looks like the meme of the dudes with the selfies, like wearing the MAGA hats in the car, and he's got what looks like a Charizard tattooed on his left arm. And and it could be, I don't know, he looks like a bulked up version of Kevin Spacey, but bald. I don't really know how else to describe this guy, but he, he's got 65 followers. So whatever he's tweeting out there doesn't seem to be the most popular content on Kentucky did you, Twitter. Did you see that somebody like said that he was posing like the Mona Lisa and then like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I lost my shit when I saw that. There are 55 quote tweets on this thing. Let me find the Mona Lisa thing just so we can give credit. Can you find the, said it? Can you, can you find I think the, it's Hazen that said it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it, yeah it was Hazen. Hazen. It was Hazen. <laughs> it was um, Hazen. Snyder's, find- Snyder's Windbreaker, by the way. I've got to give, give a shout out to our guy, Snyder's Windbreaker. This guy 100% has been banned from his local Cracker Barrel. They told him it was behavior issues, but secretly it was because he smells horrendously and the staff threatened to quit if they had to come within 50 feet of him again. Can you find the quote tree, the quote tweets of that, um, of his sister slash wife in support of them? Oh my God. I didn't even see that. Okay. That was more, that was, it was more of a joke. You could stop looking. Oh, I was going to say, that this, was an inbred, actually that was an inbred joke. Uh, that just totally, My. yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, I'll give you credit there. Um, shit, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't have any other Kentucky content. Like, I, I saw a couple of people had quoted this guy who I think was from the Locked On Kentucky podcast. The dude was just basically bitching about the refs and saying, like, I never bitch about the refs, but when I do, it's because it was egregious. I mean, sorry, sorry, Bob. 
say what say whatever. Was was that the the guy that sounded exactly like Ben Shapiro? Oh my yes. god, yes. Genuinely yes. one of the most unhinged podcast clips I think I've ever heard on a sports podcast. Insane. Just that is a man who is so deep in his feelings. It honestly it makes me feel good that we were able to cause somebody that much hurt. Facts don't care about your feelings, Russell. Man, the people at Locked On, I mean, they find they find some great talent. I mean, people unhinged, people that are delusional. I mean, if you guys really want to tap in, tap into the Michigan State Locked On podcast. They've got some good podcasts about uh, what their upcoming matchup with K-State is about. And it was funny because I'll save you a little bit of time, uh, a 48-minute podcast, is basically him bringing on a guest um about Michigan State and him trying to <laughs> trying to get him to get his guests to say that K State was not going to be a hard challenge for Michigan State and the guy would not would not cave and be like yeah Mich- the Kansas State's probably going to beat Michigan State and the dude just like was broken hearted about it it was so fucking funny um I, you know the one really funny quote and i almost wanted to pull it up while you were talking from the locked in kentucky one was something on the lines of i'm not a ref but i know how to officiate a game but something like if a mechanic was a head chef at a restaurant would he know would he know if the food is good or bad or not there there was some quote like that that was just absolutely over the top like, he was saying he was saying he he doesn't have to be a mechanic to know that his car is broken broken down or he doesn't have to be a chef to know if the food tastes good or something like that and I don't have to be an official to know when a foul is being a, uh, when a foul has occurred well, come on my guy you you were in the freaking bonus with 12 minutes left of the game what do you want the refs to that do that guy would be refing like a JV high school game and it would be in the bonus in like 18 minutes if the way that he would be refing. I mean, I felt the game was, was officiated pretty good. Um, you know, Kentucky. I disagree. I disagree. I think okay. the game was not, I mean, called correctly. The fact now people think officials, all their job is to do is to call fouls. That's not how it is. I mean, the game if you if you want to if you think those are the most impactful calls, yes. But if you're not following the, if you're not keeping an eye on all the travels, if you're not keeping an eye on the three seconds, you know the illegal screens, all that stuff, then what are we doing? I mean, they're allowed to just play a different brand of basketball than anybody else. Yeah, the fouls are obvious. You can find uh, discrepancies in all the foul calls, but when you're allowed allowing the Kentucky big to just post in the in the lane for 15 seconds that is not how basketball is played that is I mean, why have that rule then why have an offensive three seconds if you're not going to call it it just doesn't make any sense why why not call traveling they called maybe one traveling in that game and it was they they missed the first one and then called the second one as like a kind of a makeup call because they had to call some kind of traveling when there's two traveling violations on one play like the, it was not a it was not a well reft game. Now the fouls were fine. I think the fouls were fine. Kentucky when Kentucky was in the bonus, yeah, we fouled them. We were reaching in, we were slapping hands and all that stuff. But it, the game was not ref good at all.
Interesting. Here's your opportunity to, to rebuttal. Go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with some of your points, but that's the problem with college basketball officiating like as a whole, you know, I, I don't think the offensive three second call is made enough. Um, I think there are definitely when guys are in the post, there are more traveling violations that aren't called, but that's just the type of basketball game that we're seeing in college right now. Um, I, the, the refreshing thing watching some of these games in person is seeing the lack of fouls overall in these games, like letting the guys play and be athletic and take contact uh, for me, I enjoy watching games that are a little bit more like that versus having Doug Sermon's call foul call every 15 seconds. Um, it, and it has been refreshing to see that a little bit in the NCAA tournament. So I don't, I don't disagree with some of your points, but I would say overall that the games in the NCAA tournament have been officiated better than, I would say, our Big 12 games. Um, because we're not seeing teams get into the, I mean, the Kentucky game was an interesting one because yeah, they were in the bonus with 12 minutes to go, but I think our game plan was having to be that like we were having to be aggressive and get Oscar to the free line and that helped. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with what you're saying because the game does like, we're like, I just said the fouls, are not the issue for me. That's not what I – when I I wasn't disagreeing with you about the foul calls. I think the game being refereed is is different than the foul calls, in my opinion. Like, the, the game is so much better, like, with the physicality and all that stuff and not calling illegal screens every three, every three uh, screens down the court. You know, those – taking those out of the game, letting these guys bang around. That is beautiful. I like that. And I completely agree with you. So when you, when the game is being played, when there's fouls, like reaching fouls and trying to grab a ball for a jump ball, and you're literally holding on to somebody's arm, that's a foul. So I could get with that. But if somebody's jumping at the basket and I go straight up and it just so happens that you jump into my chest and you fall a little bit backwards, that's not a foul. That's just me. I have right to the space as well. And I think the way that it's being called in the NCAA tournament, to your point, is way better than what we would get in a Big 12 game where we're in the double bonus each team with nine minutes left because nobody's allowed to move into the lane without being an offensive foul or a foul for, I don't know, perimeters or whatever they're calling it, the cylinder calls and stuff like that. So, yeah, I agree with you, Matt. I want to open it up to the room here. So uh, we've got Russell, we've got Catsman, we've got Will the Thrill. I mean, anything else that, that the three of you want to talk about? Any other topics that you'd like to discuss before we uh, before we sign off here? I'm sure Russell oh, has I would, for us. I would love to talk about brackets real quick. Um, well, and I mostly, <laughs> I mostly just bring that up because we got to talk about Matt's bracket. You guys got to get your intern in shape here. Uh, I had to check to make sure I wasn't below him, but in our bracket competition currently, Matt is tied for second to last place. Um, so I don't know if that's the guy that we should be listening to takes from, uh, you know, a, a dude who picks that poorly. Uh, that That is a I'm, direct I'm shot. On my bracket. <laughs> that is a direct <laughs> shot at you. I, 
I don't know how to I'm currently it. bringing up my bracket right now just to <laughs> confirm this is correct. And it is, so I don't have any room to talk, but I am the only one in my group who has Gonzaga to win the national championship. So we need maybe some upsets. Um, that could be nice. Like no Alabama or Houston or Texas. So, Russell, you can eat a bag of dicks like normal. I don't think – I think Alabama, I think you're safe with the Alabama pick. Like I said, I think San Diego State's going to make it to the Final Four. So, I mean, I picked the Cats because, you know, I believe in our boys. But that's not good enough for Matt, I guess. He had to, he had to be Mr. Takes. No, so. no, no, no. So, uh, here's, here's a little bit of maybe – maybe some advice for everybody. So obviously all of us like K-State, maybe all of us like the Chiefs. Maybe, you know, if you're ever in a betting situation against other people who you share fandom with and there is money involved, most of the time the smart play is betting against that team because you're going to have a better chance to potentially win money, even though it's depressing for everybody else. So... You gotta play the. You gotta play some advantages, you know. Yeah, but how'd that work out for you this time? This the bracket's not over with Russell. We have two fucking weekends to go. Let's calm down over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! This is honestly all that I wanted was him to get mad. So this. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're making me turn into Fran Caffrey right now, um, and I'm not happy about it. The stare down. I want to see the stare. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna Photoshop your face on a Fran McCaffrey's body. In the stare down. Oh, I don't. Would we rather see that or the Kentucky guy in the Mona Lisa again? <laughs> Which one would we choose? <laughs> Kentucky Mona Lisa is. That Fran did work, by the way. They uh, came back like down 20 points to beat Michigan State. So you know, let's not make fun of it too much. If, Tang has to do that. He has to do it. I don't know if I'll be able to stand being down by 20 in that game and winning. I think that would be a very tough one for me. I mean, the winning part would be nice, but being down 20. Yeah, I I agree. Okay. Is Elite 8... This is the last thing I'm going to say. Is the Elite 8 where... Is Elite Eight the floor of where we want to end this tournament? Uh, yeah, of yeah. course. Now, like, I mean, because it, it, uh, nah, I mean, we're playing Michigan State, so I mean, is is Sweet Sixteen good enough? Because I I had a text with uh, somebody in the KSU community that you know said that this team is kind of uh, that they found that this is this was the goal to make once they found out that they were in the east bracket that just making it to new york was the goal and that they've accomplished their goal so is is this the floor is next round the floor what i mean what do we think i mean i think at this point the sweet 16 is the floor but i the way that this the east region has kind of turned out um I mean, I I would say the Sweet Sixteen's a floor, but this team has a potential to go to the Final Four with this type of, this type of the type of games they've played. 
Whoa. Uh, That's what I was going to say is I, I see the Sweet 16, you know, we made it here. The, the rest is house money, but at the same time, the ceiling is definitely, you know, making it to the championship. There is a real shot there, uh, and it's not just a, you know, a fan holding out hope. You look at the, the rest of it, and there is, an, you know, there's no reason that if they play uh, at the best of their abilities, like, you know, like we saw, and like you guys mentioned earlier, if we can have Noel play even remotely close to the game that he played the other night and had have Keontae, uh, you know, have one of his normal nights, then there's no. I think, I think if you were to compare this season and how it's turned out to what the expectations were, then, then yeah, sure. I mean, I think you can be more than happy to see that this team has ended up in the sweet 16. And if this is where the road ends, I still think that's a huge victory, but knowing coach Tang and how he's motivated this team, how he, how he presents himself, how everybody on this team presents themselves in, in press conferences and, and statements that they make. I don't think this team will settle for just making it to New York. I think that, you know, in, in an ideal world, we advance to the final four. I think that would be like, that would be insane because again, we haven't done it since the sixties. That would be an incredible achievement knowing that not only this is year one, but knowing what Tang had to do in year one to get to where he is and knowing that this team was picked last in the big 12. I, I think I, I'm, I'm happy at this point with where the season is at. I'm, I'm, if this, if this is the end of the road, that's okay. But I, I have high expectations for this team now that they are where they are. And I think that, it's it's title game or bust. Like let's let's get there, let's get there, and let's win a freaking national championship. I think we have the the capability to do that. How fucking nuts would a natty? Considering we've never won one, I think it'd be pretty fucking insane. <laughs> I think I think I would I echo, echo what you echo what said. That sounds back. I'd echo what you said there, Bob. Which is you know basically just like if you look back at where we started this season at, like it is insane that we're even at this point. Um, there was like a point kind of later in the game the other day where I started getting sad thinking about like, well, you know, I mean, we might lose this and it could be it for Mark and Keontae. And I got really sad. Um, this is just such a special group of guys. And it's, I don't know at this point, if we lose, I'm, I'm okay with it because I, we're playing with house money, but I think we could go all the way. And I don't know. I have former students who are at K state right now that I'm still in touch with. And just the way that they talk about like, the atmosphere on campus, the vibe, everybody is just like so bought into this. And it's cool to see because I worry that that would never come back after, um, you know, after uh, the Frank or not the Frank, the Bruce decline started. So it's a lot of fun to see. And I think we should just enjoy whatever time. I all I know is I really want to see this team win on Thursday in Madison Square Garden in New York City with these guys from New York City and um I I'm excited to I'm I'm going to be there if anybody's listening is going to be there. Um yeah, it's it's uh it's going to be a really fun atmosphere. Um I, again, I I did go to K-State played in Madison Square Garden a handful of years ago um in a tournament and uh, they got throttled by Michigan, but uh 
this it, it's a really incredible atmosphere um, when it's filled with people and um, I, I imagine it, it's just going to be a cool experience and it's going to be important for them to focus and you know if they if their laser visions there they get through Michigan State I then I'll feel okay you know maybe this team can make it to the final four and um, put a challenge against whoever would be up against them in the other uh, region. It would be really incredible to see Tang break that that glass ceiling, if you will, of of where K State basketball has not been able to break through to the Final Four. In in you know, it's been a very very it's been since the '60s, the 1960s. So it would be really incredible for him in, in year one to to essentially again to use his terminology elevate where the program has been since the sixties and, and get to that point where we're playing in the final four, we're one of the best four teams left in the country playing basketball. Uh, so I think that would be incredibly just poetic for him to do that. And, and the best part about it is, is no one's going to be able to say, Oh, he, he inherited players. He, he had to build this thing from scratch with what he did, knowing that the only two returners were, Marquise Noel and, and Ish Masood. So I, I really, I, I sure as hell hope that that's where this thing ends up. And, and by the time we get to next Tuesday, we're talking about a, a final four appearance. So I think that's going to do it for us tonight for all of us here at cocaine Willie and to everyone in the live room who contributed tonight. Thank you a ton. Uh, we're going to keep it live on Tuesday evening, like I just mentioned, next week. Uh, so follow me at Bob Trollsby on Spotify Live to be notified when we go live. So you can pop on and talk some ball with us. Make sure to give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be notified when new episodes drop after the live show. And then leave us a review with your feedback. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, follow the show at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Bob Trollsby. Uh, Chef is at Chef Andre Napier, and Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all coke and no joke and headed to the Sweet 16. Wildcat Country. Let's ride. That's going to be an incredible let's ride. Robbie Triana sucks. Fucking loser. Yellow belly. Ooh.